Welcome to another episode of the Peak Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also a best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock the potentials and guide them to succeed. Today on the show, we have an amazing guest. This is somebody I met at an online conference, and once I heard her speak, I was completely blown away. She has achieved so much different successes. She's so multifaceted. I mean, she is a, uh, a materials engineer, been in manufacturing for many, many years, then went and became a nuclear and safeties engineer, worked in the oil and gas sector, and then also landed in development and construction. Absolutely amazing because some of the projects that she's been talking about has been absolutely spectacular. And I'm very, very excited about that kind of stuff as well. She has a knack of finding high density and also commercial institutional spaces that encourages enhanced living and also great uh, local businesses to thrive as well. She is passionate in true sustainability and loves giving back with tons of initiatives worldwide from Pakistan, UK, and Canada. So please welcome Senior Project Manager, Co-Founder, VP Marketing and Sales of Construction, Ms. Shara Waji. Hey, Fong. Hey, Fong. Very happy hey. to be here. Super excited to be having a chat with you today. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time, for being here, and also for sharing some of these stories that you're going to be giving us later. Um, how, how has your, your day been so far? Oh, it's been spectacular. We actually uh, looking forward to a day of gardening, but now it's raining. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you don't have to water then. So that's right. That's right. Yeah, we did, we did quite a bit of work yesterday, mostly done by my uh, partner in crime. Um, and yeah, he did most of the manual labor and I'm looking forward to planting some bulbs in the ground and nurturing those little babies. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah, I, I saw it rain and I'm like, yes, I just mowed the lawn. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> um, for, for people who don't know who you are and what you do, uh, you've done a lot of amazing things. I've seen some of the projects that you've been working on. Uh, but give us a, a quick history of how you became the amazing developer you are now. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I kind of stumbled into it, actually. I mean, I always knew um, from the get-go that I wanted to do some phenomenal things, you know, with my life and some really big, big stuff. But I had no idea what that path looked like. So, um, you know, very early on, I started off, uh, you know, typical immigrant family, um, you know, born and raised in the South Asian sort of uh, setting. And I was really pushed into uh, engineering and sciences and medicine and things like that. And uh, very early on, I realized I'm not that great academically. <laughs> like, I was one of those who'd spend hours and hours poring over the books and I just barely passed, you know, I'd like sometimes get a 70, sometimes get an 80, but generally is like struggling. Um, and then, I was like, no you way. Were, you were, you're a safety's engineer. I don't know if I want to hear that story, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I just kind of fell into that and, you know, um, got into engineering, got into material science, uh, material science and engineering, really, because it was the most broad engineering topic. It touched on everything, you know, from aeronautics to um, biomedical to mechanical, electrical, all of those disciplines were touched. So, you know, fast forward when I came to Canada, um, you know, I was doing the hard, hardcore door knocking and I knew that I wanted to get into energy, but I wasn't quite sure, you know, how do I get my foot in the door? And, um, you know, almost, almost a year and a half, two years, I was door knocking and I came across this tiny little company in Mississauga, Ontario, um, <clears throat> who were doing nuclear design, testing, safety engineering, that kind of thing. And of course, you know, you hear nuclear and you're like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like, I gotta do that, right? Like. <laughs> So essentially it was, it was that because I was just like interested in it. Um, and I was so lucky, you know, I walked, I was knocking doors, literally patting the pavement, knocking on the door. 
and um, spoke to the secretary and she told me a little bit about the company and you know lo and behold spoke to the VP spoke to the owners of the company and got my foot in the door it was really awesome you know um, nuclear design um, and nuclear testing and safety engineering is actually very important work um, you know if you know anything about energy and how energy is created around the world you'll know that nuclear is one of the safest forms of energy and it has immense potential to power large cities so you know from that perspective we were doing a lot of uh, testing of everything and anything that goes into a nuclear plant and making sure that things operate as they are and there's like massive layers of safety when it comes to um, you know, engineering this stuff and making sure that it works and that it's within its lifespan. So, you know, we had like shake tables that kind of like shake stuff, like huge valves and, you know, would like put this stuff on there and shake the hell out of it. We'd like throw it into like blast chambers and basically that's like high pressure, high temperature, you know, extreme conditions, like the worst case that a nuclear plant could experience, you know. So imagine a nuclear plant and the earth is shaking and there's a fire and all pipes are bursting, you know, there's havoc. And under those circumstances, how will these things behave and perform? And, you know, what's going to fail and what needs improvement? And where is the R&D component in that? So essentially, that's what I did for a number of years. You know, our, our lab group was really a lot of fun and I worked under a fantastic mentor um, from Nova Scotia. You know, one of 13 kids or something like that. <laughs> to sell lobsters off the back of their truck. So a very inspiring, motivational kind of, you know, mentor. And that's kind of how I got, you know, started with this whole sort of engineering journey. Yeah. So then was your role the, the role of, I'm going to push these things to the limit? Or was your role of, how do I prevent it from exploding? Because it's two different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, we, we were lucky. Like, we, had, uh, we actually got a bit of both. Yeah, we got a bit of both. There was certain cases and circumstances in which you wanted to see what were the limits, right? Like how, how much can it actually endure? How much can it take? And uh, there's, there's a huge body of research and work out there, you know, decades and decades of this, but you know, when it's in, in a reality, let's put it this way, like there's a difference between practical um, and theoretical. So when you actually put something into practice, when you actually put those things into those conditions, how does it react? You know, does it fail? Sometimes we were pushing things to fail to see like at what point does it fail? How much can it withstand? Um, in other cases, we wanted to see, you know, like how long will it go without us breaking it. So, <laughs> so yeah, lots so of you, lots of fun. You've gone from there and then into land development and construction. Yeah. Uh, was the was the path easy to get into that area of, of things? It was it was interesting. So I mean, you know, you and I have talked a bit before, and uh, you know, I've always had a very organic approach to how things go. Like I have certain goals and certain objectives in mind, and you know, I plant those seeds very early on. You know, there's certain seeds that I planted when I was a kid, and I'm sort of realizing some of those things now. Um, but when it came to you know development, it was you know really a case of moving from industry and moving from geographic location. So you know we moved from Ontario to Alberta. Uh, when I came to Alberta, I kind of swore off oil and gas. Little did I know that 90% of the economy relied on oil and gas. You know, I guess that was my naivety coming from you know a different kind of mindset. Um, and yeah, so we started off in construction. Like the way I define it is that construction fell on us. You know, we we had a very young family um, at the time and trying to really just provide for the family the best way we knew how. And so, you know, people approached us to do some small construction type jobs, really like hands-on stuff, 
handyman kind of stuff. And that quickly, very rapidly evolved into us doing projects um, on the pub in the public sector and private sector. So on the commercial side, um, you know, doing some legacy renos, small, small scale legacy renos, and then you know, slowly building that up. And I say slowly, it felt slow to us. You know, when you have a small family and you're really struggling and trying to make ends meet, it was slow for us. But when you sit back and look at it, you know, within a year or two years, we had grown quite rapidly. Um, so, you know, started doing some of those projects more on the construction side and then slowly evolving into the owner's side. So uh, owner's representative. So essentially, um, somebody has a project and they don't know how to do it or they don't have the capacity to take care of it and they just sort of say you take care of that okay these are my interests just take care of my interests yeah. so that's essentially you know the kind of role that we started stepping into you know doing um from residential we evolved into uh doing you know storefronts and interior um fit outs and tenant improvements and working on some public projects so institutional type projects as well more so on the construction side you know understanding the engineering that went into it but then also okay how do we make this actually happen physically so that was a little bit of a segue into the construction and um you know i'll share i'll share the story i shared with you before you know how did we how did we evolve to where we are now with construction um, you know, Sean being the beautiful, uh, the German word for beautiful and great, yeah. and construction being a play on that word. So how did we get to this point? Um, really, it was a case of, you know, we took a break from the construction um, because we saw a lot of issues that were happening on sites. And we also realized, you know, there's a lot of shortcuts, um, deficient materials being used, poor workmanship, um, poor relationship ethics. Um, on all sides, you know, it wasn't just that the trades are doing a bad job of it, it was just all on all sides. And, um, you know, my partner ended up on a couple of sites where he saw some really unsafe things happening. And finally, one day, he said, you know, I don't know where you're sending me. <laughs> These sites are really bad. Uh, what's, you know, where did you send me? So I said, well, what's the issue? You know, figure it out. If you're on site, it's, I'm sure it's not that bad. And and he just said, yeah, it's really bad. It's, it's horrible. Like people people are doing things that are very unsafe, you know, for example, walking on freshly poured concrete or not engaging uh, structural engineering when they're adding on another level to their, to their structure. Um, you know, things like this, which is quite significant. So we decided let's just take a break from this. And that's kind of where the turning point happened, you know, um, reevaluating everything at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there... So there was a period of time where you were doing engineering, kind of doing construction, and then also venturing into development. What was it about development that you go, you know what, I want to do this full time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of the, it's an intriguing question. Um, there's a lot of background to, you know, how, how I got to this point and how we decided to sort of change the focus of the company. Um, there's, there's this phenomenal report out there um, Called the Brentline Report, which I, you know, I quote to everyone. <laughs> so you got to read this. It's it's monumental. Like it was written, I don't know, in the 80s, something like that. And I'm sure the guy was researching this for a good 10 years. And it's a comprehensive um, report that was written for the UN back then, which talks about um, all kinds of things that happen as the population increases. 
you know, so it's kind of like a, a little bit Orwellian, but at the same time, it's very practical and gives you the nuts and bolts of what's going to happen as, as our civilization increases in population and the impact to natural resources and things like that. So how we came across and how I came across this report was because I was tasked with the question of have you thought about homelessness? And when I was thinking about homelessness, you know, we did this deep dive and started looking at how do we address these issues and can we even build green? Can we even build affordable? And we realized, yes, it has been done in the past, but there are certain roadblocks in the way. So it became this really intriguing question of as the population increases in any urban environment, whether it's urban, peri-urban, remote, rural, we know that all the cities around the world are only increasing in population and density. And as that happens, the int intensification on the land increases, which means that you start to have issues with regards to food, water, safety, social issues, health issues. Now, Canada is a little bit different, you know, in, in most cases, but we also have the indigenous communities and rural and remote communities that are facing these issues. So it started to sort of spiral into this really mammoth project, you know, where we started looking at all the different moving parts, you know, how, how do developers choose how they do projects? How does land um, play a part? Why is land important? Why is food security important? Why is security important? How does that play into social, um, you know, relationships and factors? And how does that play into health indicators? So, you know, things like even loneliness, you know, simple, I don't know, it's like, to me, it's like very simple, but at the same time, for people who are listening, they may be like, how do these things even relate, you know, if you don't have a flavor for this stuff? But I'll give you an example, you know, there's even a study out there on war vets. So when war vets return home, um, you know, say to the United States, Canada, Western Europe, they're isolated, they're lonely, and they actually have extreme cases of depression and suicide and mental health issues. Besides the PTSD that's going on, you know, this additional layer of this. So why do they have this? And when they did the study, they realized that the war vets, when they're actually at war, they're healthier. And this was weird, you know, like, why are they healthier when they're at war? And it all boiled down to social connection. And how social connection created is the interaction of the built environment with the natural environment, how you create societies, or how societies are formed those relationships that are formed. And so it became so painfully clear to us that development is not just about taking a chunk of land and putting something on it and turning a quick coin. There's a lot more, a lot more that goes into that. Um, hence it's highly interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary. So this was a fascination and this is why we decided we can have great impacts here. We can affect the environment. We can affect community. We can affect a lot of things here. I love how your, your base is so is so giving that your, your base is so amazing because lots of people when i ask a question like that why did you go into development why are you building this why are you building that they mm -hmm. go well i like building cool things i like seeing massive structures go up but your base is going i want to give back to the community i want to give that environment so that people can thrive and i think that's just absolutely amazing um when it comes to all these different projects that you've been on and so many different types of development projects that you completed already which one would you say you're the most proud of today? Oh, that's that's a difficult question. I it's funny because I'm I'm like that little donkey that has a carrot dangling in front of it and and you never get to the carrot. So I would say that I've yet to yet to do that one project where I'm like, yeah, like I'm incredibly proud of that one. Look, 
you know, I do project management. I love it. I live and breathe it. And it's actually really exciting to me, project management side of things, because it has a multidisciplinary thing, right? Where you take a lot of different things and you put them in the mix and see how you can create something out of that, you know, achieve a certain goal, achieve certain success. So to me, all projects are phenomenal. You know, even that really awkward, tiny little project is, <laughs> to me, that's exciting too, because at the end of the day, you know, there's something tangible that you can say, hey, there's something that came out of this. So to be fair, like some of the, some of the most um, important projects to me are the projects that are related to community. Um, where I can see that impact. So whether it's community center, um, hub development, um, uh, some some institutional projects where we know that they, you know, there's an impact when it comes to the health of people, right? So medical medical centers, things like that. One of the projects that we're actually looking forward to is um, the Blatchford City Center development projects. So we we did qualify as one of the design build teams for that in 2019. Uh, took a step away from it from the residential piece, really because. One of our mandates is to show that you can build energy efficient and it can be affordable. Um, you can build aging in place and it can be affordable. So we took a little bit of a step back from that because it's district tied and you know it's really like new, very, very new. And that was a big risk for us at that point in time, but we're looking forward to the commercial aspect to come up where you know we can do more volume and really show showcase that it can be done affordable. So, yeah, I mean, it's a tough question to say, you know, what, what are we most proud of? Because every single project that we do is unique. Um, and so really what comes out of that project is, you know, the love and care and effort that we put in and I put in from the ground, ground up. So how about as of right now, what is the most exciting project that you're working on right now that you can't wait to see it complete? Oh my God, that's, yeah, that's that's something that, you know, has been in the dream works for a while. Uh, yeah, we're looking at a, a substantially larger project. So, you know, up to 20, uh, sorry, 200 acres or so, 300 acres or so, and a whole community development, whole community design and development. So. Fingers crossed. I'm not going to say too much about that right now, but that is something that's in the works. Um, so we're slowly building that out and developing that, looking for the key partners um, and, you know, really putting some of that community level divine, uh, community level um, development and design into that. So we're really big on community benefits, which is that you're engaging the community to do the work and to inform what you're putting there and why you're putting it there, but then also employing uh, locally and hiring locally. So community benefits is like a big piece of what we do and why we do it, as well as, you know, all the other profitable stuff on the back end when it comes to, you know, the deals and lands and JVs and all of those things. Yeah, so that's a big one that we were really excited about. Very, very cool. Uh, you mentioned a lot of things that are on a on a dream list of people mm -hmm. uh, to do. Like, yes, I want it to be sustainable. Yes, I want it to be affordable. Of course, I want to have the local people involved. And of course, I want to be environmental friendly and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So, to be honest, you can only pick two out of the five or two out of the three. Mm -hmm. How do you do it? How do you kind of get everything to work together and still be profitable and still be yeah. uh, beneficial for everybody involved? So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely not every single project is like that. But for those projects that meet most of those criteria on the list, one of the one of the things that happen is that you know just all the stakeholders all the team members they are aligned on those values right so from the core everybody believes that this is the right thing to do 
and you just sort of make it happen from that point onwards. So integrated project design and delivery is quite important, you know, having a transparent level playing field and early on interactions and communications and um, development of the process and the design and how you execute upon that is very important. So a lot more planning up front, which takes longer, takes more time, takes more thought. So, hey, like I tell, you know, I'll be the first one to say, you know, not everyone's a tree hugger and I'm cool with that. <laughs> so a lot of, lot of transparency and communication and the ability to be honest, right? And be vulnerable and to say, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Or I don't know how we are going to do that, but we'll figure it out because you know what? The expertise is there. It's just more so the will and the belief, right? So if you have a belief and you know um, that you are aligned and you share the same values, then it's accomplishable. It's achievable. A lot of what you said is basically the, the importance of building strong relationships and also communicating effectively as well. Um, but I'm going to give you a quick little twist to the question I'm going to mm -hmm. ask you is that there's a lot of give and take. Yes. Right? Because you're working with so many different people and you want to keep good relationships with all parties. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to negotiation, what's your, is there a strategy when it comes to your negotiating tactics or is there something that you, you emphasize more when it comes to negotiating with somebody? Uh, interesting question, you know, it ties into leading and leadership and learning and self-development, um, all of these things are kind of rolled into one. So I don't know, I'm, I'm still working on it. <laughs> the honest answer is I'm still working on it, I'm still developing, but what has been successful for me has been being brutally honest, right? Letting people know where I stand and why we're getting into a certain project or why we're doing it a certain way, why it's important. And, you know, it can be something as simple as replacing windows or doing a full new build or uh, doing development or finding the partnerships or negotiating a difference of opinion or a different way of doing it in those styles. So flexibility, I think, is key. Um, flexibility and adaptability and having that humility to sort of put yourself in the other person's shoes and understand that, A, you don't know it all. I don't know at all. And B, you know, if we're, if we're really respectful of each other and we understand that we're trying to achieve a common goal, then we need to find a way to do that. And sometimes there is that give and take and that, um, you know, you, you got to put your ego down a little bit. Like you may know how to do it. I may know how to do it. I might think my way is the best, you know, it's my way or the highway. Yeah. But that's not the case, right? Like it's a simple example is, you know, if you're a family person and you have kids, you know, you can, you can kind of order your kids around. Hey, do this, do that, do that. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? But at some point in time, whether it's a toddler, you know, going through the terrible twos or the terrible fours, or it's a teenager, they're going to turn around and say, hell no, you do that, right? Hell no. Or I just don't want to do it. Or I'm just not going to do it. Or I don't hear you. So how do you get through? And I'd say, you know, if you if you live with the elderly, like, you know, if you've had grandparents or you think care of an aging parent or if you live with younger children that is your biggest life lesson in negotiation right there <laughs> like if you can negotiate with a kid or somebody way older than you and stubborn you can negotiate any situation you know everyone has to feel that they're respected and that it's a win-win you know they're gaining what they feel uh, is important to them mm -hmm. and 
from you know once you, once you have clarity on that then it's just a case of okay what what are the tools what are the pieces that you put in place to achieve that yeah i mean sometimes it's a process and sometimes it fails right sometimes it doesn't work and you have to be strong enough to say okay that really didn't work out <laughs> i need to step away from this um yeah. reflect learn be better next time as an engineer uh, and also i'm an engineer by trade as well um we're, we're known as people who aren't very good at communicating and yeah. therefore you're in a role right now that requires a lot of communication and a mm -hmm. lot of relationship building which isn't exactly a trait that engineers are screaming saying we're we're awesome at this <laughs> so is this something that you kind of gradually became or did you put a lot of effort into special classes or uh special techniques and stuff that you had mm -hmm. to learn or did you just kind of flow into it that's a that's a great question because you're right um you know we engineering does have this uh label on it that you know we're very much like accountants right we, we only see the numbers we only have tunnel vision and we see what we see and that's about it um it's not entirely true like there's very talented engineers out there who are really multi-dimensional multi-faceted um you know i think it boils down to the individual when it comes to it you know for me, I knew from a very young age that I could not be pigeonholed. I hated the idea of being pigeonholed. So hence, you know, I said that I told you earlier in the conversation about choosing materials engineering. So I was like, yeah, I know it's bad to be a generalist, but I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was part of my nature. And yeah, definitely, you know, I, I seek knowledge. I seek out uh, great people to surround myself with great conversations, great books. Um, wherever and whenever I can. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't learn off of Netflix. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, I, I learn off of kids' cartoons. You know, so um, that that concept of having an open mind, embracing change. So, you know, one of, one of the key words in the company here is transformation, right? What, is, what does transformation mean to you? Does it mean that you're stagnant? Does it mean you change your mindset? Does it mean you change your habits, your thoughts? Uh, what does that mean? So, yeah, for me, it's, you know, I aspire to do better. So there's there's this quote out there by an unknown person, everything you touch, make it better. And so for me, it just goes down to my core of how do I want to walk through this life? You know, when I pass, when I pass on, um, am I going to have regrets? You know, when I'm when my spirit's moving on, am I going to have regrets? And no, I don't want to have regrets. So how do I walk through life every day? where I'm closer to not having regrets and I'm living life fully and giving back as much as I can. That to me is legacy. Yeah. So that kind of dictates, you know, my whole mindset and how I approach everything and every interaction I have. When you were talking about adaptability, being flexible, uh, right now during this period of time, 2020, 2021, mm -hmm. we're faced with a lot of challenges. Um, how has this COVID situation uh, uh, kind of forced you to kind of adapt to? Like, how, what did you change with regards to your company so that you're still able to thrive? Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting um, proposition, right? How do you change in times of difficulty and how do you um, adjust your company um, to face the challenges? So we had actually thought about this early on um, about doing things remotely. You know, one, one of our big one of our big bucket list items is actually to work internationally. And we were kind of like dreaming this up, you know, okay, if we work internationally, how are we gonna handle business on the home front? Well, we're gonna have to go remote, 
we're going to be sitting on a beach somewhere, right? It was, it was just kind of like dreaming up, conjuring up these big ideas and saying, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll just be sitting with our parents or our family members and, you know, just typing away on the computer and making a couple of phone calls and make it happen, right? We're good at what we do, we continue to be better at what we do, and we can do it remotely. And it's funny when COVID hit, you know, for the first, I think, two or three months, we were just in shock, like, holy cow, like, shutdown is quite serious, you know, like, everything shutting down and seeing all these small businesses closing up, and they continue to close doors. And we just sort of jump-started that plan. So we said, okay, well, we kind of manifested this, and here it is, you know. We thought it would be about five to seven years out, and it's not. It's right here, you know, a few months away. So what do we do? So, you know, we adjusted our model um, within the business so that we're contracting out a, a lot more so that we do go on site, but not as much. And, you know, Zoom is great. Uh, we're good at communicating via Zoom or other remote um, technologies, phone calls, and keeping that personal touch, right? So whether it's, you know, from the ground, from the trades, all the way up to the engineers, all the way to our clients, our customers, so whatever it takes, you know, we can still implement safety issues and still make it happen. So to us, it hasn't been such an impact, but it has changed kind of the projects that we're now going for and that we are doing. And it's sort of changed how we're doing the business. So the, the technology and the tools that we are putting in place and continue to put in place. So not that drastic when you think about it, but drastic from the perspective of being open to that, right? Being open to evolving. Now, for a person who's very successful in her career, uh, you're also a very uh, successful mom. There's a pure time where you had to balance the two. Keep on building yeah. your career, building that whole expertise, and then also balancing raising kids. And you talked about it at the very beginning here, where you were kind of doing construction stuff and raising kids at the same time. Um, there's a lot of moms out there who go, you know what, I can only do this. I need to put this on hold. Mm -hmm. um, is there any kind of advice or kind of recommendation that you would kind of give with regards to, well, no, if you really want to build a career, you could do both. Mm -hmm. How do you do both? Yeah, so I don't think there's balance. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the first to say that. I don't think there's balance. This, this concept of work-life uh, balance, I, I don't know. I, I don't see that. <laughs> I think... I think it comes down to you have a certain vision for your life. You might not have it planned out, but you have an idea of what you want your life to look like and what you want to achieve, right? What's your life's work? Um, and for me, even, you know, when we first got married, we had conversations about, you know, I don't want to be married to somebody who's married to their work. And here we are running our own business, you know, I'm running my own business. And there was times when, you know, I'm not joking, dining room table, you know, three kids sitting around the dining room table, we're eating, we're cleaning the table off, the work stuff is being put back on the table, you know, and you literally have two hours to work, right, before the next cycle. Yeah, I mean, you just make it happen. You you prioritize. You pick what you want to focus on. And as a parent, you know any yourself on you know, and any parent listening in would know that when the child has needs, you you gotta give it to them. <laughs> you know, if they, they want to play with you and they're pulling on you and they're tugging at you, mom, 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 can I just ask you something? You gotta give them that time. After all, you know you brought that life into this world. Um, 
and you just make it happen. You know, like I've seen people who've got like five kids, six kids, more kids. And I'm like, holy cow, how do you do that? How do you manage that and run a business and have one partner studying or working or whatever the case is? So, you know, you, you put your attention where it's most needed and you pick and choose what it is that you want to further, right? And what you want to grow. So I always knew that when we had started the business, it wasn't something temporary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to ride the ups and flows, the ups and downs. And there's times where I've sort of said, oh my God, today was highly unproductive. I responded to two emails. Like, what was that day about? But understanding that, you know, I'll have a day like that. And then I'll have a day where I'll up until 2 or 3 a.m. and putting in the hard work and I'm super efficient, right? So you get to a point in in your life, I guess, you know, life teaches you how to mature and how to be a little more seasoned in how you do things um, and pick up the tricks and techniques that work for you, you know? So know yourself first and then you can put that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sacrifices great. are made. Yeah. They're made like the gray hairs there for a good reason. <laughs> that, these, are, these are successes that you see in the back of your hair. Every single strand. <laughs> yeah. Every single strand. I say it's like a, a night without sleep. <laughs> uh, when it comes to like, you're a mom, you're a very successful developer, but you're also a person who gives back a lot and you have a lot of initiatives that go uh, worldwide. Uh, tell us more about some of these projects that you're working on that are nonprofit and that you're giving back. Yeah, I mean, two of the, two of the ones that I'm focusing on right now are close to home here. Um, one is um, a financial literacy initiative. So this is basically, um, we, we coined it Future of Finance, going through a little bit of name change right now. But essentially, we wanted to educate business owners as to the fundamentals of financial literacy, understanding that Money is a difficult topic for many, many people, right? It's, it's a hard topic. If you weren't raised in an environment where you talk about finances or money openly and honestly, then it has psychological issues that go with it. Like I'll just say like, there's a lot of baggage that goes with money. Like if I asked you, Fong, how much do you make, you know, and how much debt do you have? How much do you spend on a daily basis? We might be on the fence there, right? You might say, yeah, I'm happy to share some of that information. Some of it's a little bit too close to heart. You know, I don't know you that well. I don't know. I can't, I can't answer those questions. I was told not to. My parents yeah. taught me not to answer any of that stuff. <laughs> so there you go, right? So how we were raised, like the environment we were raised in with regards to finances and money, it dictates how we live our life. And so what I felt was that a lot of families... And, you know, I could be biased here when I say a lot of immigrant families, you know, they, they may be first generation, second generation, a lot of people of color have financial difficulties. You know, they're coming from areas that are war, war-torn or not as wealthy as, say, developed Western nations. Um, and this becomes a mindset, right? Your, your relationship with money. So really what Future Finance is saying is that, okay, let's give you some of the basics, the foundations of what all money entails, you know? And that could be from real estate, that could be investments, that could be crypto, that could be um, anything cyber. You know, there's so many vehicles, right? Insurance, there's so much information out there, so much knowledge out there. So how do we equip ourselves to do better so that we can live our life, the best life that we can have? And how can we equip those around us and also our family members, right? And uplift them, give them a leg up and say, okay, you have a fantastic mind 
you can do amazing things. Yeah. If only could we could relieve you of this one pain point of being concerned about your financial security. So future finance is one one area. Another uh, area that I'm really focused on these days is um, uh, an organization, not for profit, called Council of Muslims Aging Gracefully. And this was really started because within the Muslim community, you know, the, the whole concept of aging um, and having issues with seniors is a taboo topic. So, you know, we never talk about it. And if we do, everything's fine. Everything's just great. And that's not the case. Everything is not fine. Everything is not great. There's a lot of gaps and there's a lot of room for improvement. So aging gracefully, you know, encompasses a lot of those principles that we already talked about that are dear to my heart. Um, but essentially saying, you know, how do we make sure that the next generation, the older generation, um, has a comfortable um, life, you know, and a, a great life to the end of their life. So typically, you know, the model is that you have a plateau, you've got a health issue, you drop down, then there's another level off, and then there's a health issue, you drop down again. So how do we not do this notch down? How do we do a gentle decline, right? Or maybe just keep it level. And that can be impacted in many ways. You know, there's a lot of cultural issues, um, there's a lot of institutional issues, there's a lot of education in the home, outside the home, with agencies, with external partners. Um, and then there's also things like development side. So for me, you know, it, it sort of fits all the pieces. So yeah, so those are two of the two of the ones that are really on my radar these days. I'm putting a lot of effort into those two, and I'm hoping to grow those and uh, have them make much more impact within the communities that they serve. What What is the best way for people to get involved with those? Yeah, just reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn, Shara Waji. So look me up on LinkedIn. That's the best way. Drop me a line. I'm more than happy to have a chat and help you anyway. And, you know, see if you want to be part of these initiatives and these projects that I'm doing as well. Awesome. Um, you mentioned at the very beginning about having mentors and people who guided you along. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the most important or most impactful word of advice that one of your mentors or coaches has given you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is a good one. Um, so there's a time in my life when I used to DJ, and I used to DJ in the underground scene. So wow, you're not just an engineer; you're also a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> only just for a spell. Yeah, I wasn't that. Uh, just for a spell. Uh -huh. And um, one of the best pieces of advice I got, and actually two people who didn't know each other gave me the same piece of advice. And this is I'll sort of set the scene for you. And I was uh, sitting in front of a bunch of gear totally overwhelmed, like, oh my God, like, what do I do over here? Like, how do I operate all these knobs and buttons and make this amazing sound come out at the other end? And um, one of these guys who was by far, you know, my, my senior when it comes to like technique and skill and knowledge and all these kinds of things, signed to several labels, had his own label. He turned and I said, Shia, don't get hung up on the technical, just create just create, don't get hung up on the technical. And that has served so true to this day mm -hmm. that if you are afraid of, how am I gonna do it exactly? Like, how am I gonna do it? Don't overthink that, right? Just try not to overthink that, go for it. Ask questions, ask for help. Don't be afraid to share. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I have this great idea. If I share that, somebody's gonna capitalize upon it. No, your own, your ideas are only as good as the execution. Mm -hmm. So find a way to execute on that idea and you'll be good. You'll be golden. <laughs> Very well said. So 
that is the best advice that you've gotten. Mm -hmm. um, if you had an opportunity to speak on a world stage to spread mm -hmm. one message to everybody in the world, oh, what gosh. would that one message be? It could be business, it could be personal, it could be development, whatever it is. What's that one message? Okay. I read this thing, which I think answers that question for you. Um, do not go to your grave and along with your body, you carry inside you the best that you have. Always choose to die empty. So this is, this is a quote from Todd Henry from his book, Die Empty. And essentially, you know, what this is saying is that let's deliver the idea. Let's um, deliver the idea and perform it before we leave this world. So this is what I'm saying. Do not die empty. Awesome. Very well said. Uh, that is the formal part, portion of our interview right now. I got five quick questions for you. Just give me the first things that come to mind. Okay. All right. You, you have this amazing, uh, amazing, amazing project that you need a money partner for, okay? Who would you wish walks into your door and go, here's my money? Contra. <laughs> I'd love to work with you. Who's <laughs> <laughs> your, your second choice? <laughs> my second choice. It could be um, anybody. Man, that's a, that's a hard question. Hmm. I feel like it should be some some celebrity, somebody lofty, but that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the case. Um, I'd be happy to work with anybody that's got great values, great ideas. That's that's really the honest, the honest answer of it. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll let you go on that. So, me and this other person of unknown mm -hmm. shows up to your doorstep and go, "Here's our money," but we're also very hungry. What's, uh -huh. your, what's your specialty? What can you serve us that will make us go, mmm, that tastes great? <laughs> okay, chai, mm -hmm. fruit salad, and samosas, of course. Sounds good. I'll, I'll be right there in a few moments right now. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you're also on that world stage. Uh, now that I know you're a DJ, you can't give me the DJ answer. But what is another hidden talent that you're willing to perform? Um, glass blowing. What? Oh, Glass wow. blowing, yeah. Very, very cool. <laughs> You're stranded on a desert island. You can have one food for the remainder of your life, and mm. there's no consequence. What mm. would that food be? Mangoes. Very nice. Still very healthy. <laughs> I, no. I people saying pizza and all this other stuff. So mangoes, very good. Uh, and my last question is, what is success like? I have, oh, I got six items here. Give me a mm -hmm. number between one to six. Three. One, two, three. So how is success like buffalo wings? Because they're hot, they're spicy, and they make you fly. <laughs> very, very well <laughs> done and well said. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, uh, speaking with you. And also, is there anything else that you would like to share uh, with regards to the projects you have right now? Uh, is there anything that you're looking for specifically for people to partner up with? Um, now's your time to share. Yeah, absolutely. We're always looking for partners to collaborate with, share ideas with, and come on to projects together. So if anything I've said is of interest, then definitely reach out to me. You can check out the website, constructshawn.ca. So that's construct, 
S-C-H-O-N.ca or just hit me up on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to have a chat. Yeah. Awesome. Great to be here, Fung, and thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Great. Thank you very much for your time and uh, some of the stories you shared. Uh, I can't wait to see if some of these projects come to fruition and also being completed. Uh, I know you'll have a lot of announcements coming out later on. So thank you very much for your time. And that is it for us today. Uh, she is Shara. My name is Fong Chua. And until next time, today is the day to unlock your peak potential. We'll see you later.